Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report, a special Sunday daily editorial as we are chatting with Mark Chandler, managing partner at Bannockburn Global Forex, also editor of the Mark to Market website. Mark, there's a few data points for us to cover from this last week and a lot for us to look ahead to. So I want to start off with the inflation data. Mostly we are seeing inflation continue to moderate. And I've read recently that, look, if you take the three or six month annualized recent inflation data, then it is coming in right around the Fed's 2% target. It's when you go back to the year over year changes because of, well, a year ago, how high inflation was that we are still seeing higher numbers. What are you looking at? inside the inflation data, which I think we do have to carry over to Fed expectations that you think matter most for markets. I think that you're right, Corey, that the market is talking about that six-month annualized rate of the course PCE deflator. So that's the PCE deflator, which excludes food and energy. Six-month annualized rate, 1.9%. Three-month annualized rate, 1.5%. So people say, well, the Fed's reached its target, they should cut rates. And yet, when we look at the Fed funds futures, the market hasn't really changed that much. Right now, they assess about a 50% chance of a cut in March. Not in January, uh, next week's meeting. So not until March. And that's a 50-50 wager now. But remember, at the end of last year, the market was 100% confident of a quarter point cut here in March. And so I, I think that it shows that this this number is not going to sway uh, investors very much, or it hasn't, net net. And I think that the, the market's still pricing in way too aggressive of a Fed, uh, Fed policy. I mean, just think about what they're pricing in for the end of this year, 135 basis points of cuts. That's five cuts fully and about a 40% chance of a sixth cut. Once we get past next week's meeting, there's seven meetings left in the year. Really, does the economy really warrant five cuts, six cuts in the coming year? I don't see it without a dramatic slowdown. And that's why I thought that not only the inflation data, but that personal consumption and income data was important. Personal income up three-tenths of a percent. And that the expenditure side up 0.7%, stronger than expected, and we got that upward revision to the November series. And this was really contained inside the GDP report, which is why we got such a strong GDP. It was helped by the U.S. consumer. Yeah, Mark, let's dive into the GDP number just because, you know, you, when you dive into the number, it was better than expected, better than almost anybody was anticipating. But when you dial in under the hood and look at the numbers, a lot of it was coming from the service and hospitality sector, from travel, you know, airlines and hotel. And it was also coming from government spending, and that seems to be another theme in the jobs report is that the big input that the government has in these numbers. What, what's your take on the GDP number? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I mean, that, is, it a, is it a clean number? Is it that shows that the U.S. economy is really growing 3.3%? I'd say probably not. But to me, the important thing is the takeaway. And this is, I think, with that it seems between what the, with how the Fed would read it and how uh, some market participants may read it, is that consumption still rose 2.8%. That's down only slightly from 3.1% uh, in Q3. And so the strength of consumption, I mean, when you, when you think about what that means, 
as far as the Federal Reserve, what they want to do is to make sure inflation is down, is not just down now, but on a sustainably lower levels, uh, that they want to make sure that demand doesn't exceed supply. And with, But for them, it means that 1.8% growth in GDP. That is what they'd say trend at a long-term sustainable level or the, at the rate of growth that's consistent with uh, the 2% inflation target. So just the personal consumption alone in the GDP it would just suggest that the economy is growing above trend. And so you're right, you know, there are parts of, the, parts of things that are less interest rate sensitive. And those parts of the economy you'd expect to do well when the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates by 550 basis points. And those sectors would include the government sector. It includes healthcare sector. And so to me, that's not so surprising. It's really cyclical. I think that what happens is when we, when we look very closely, try to look at the cycle, what's driving it, so focused we forget about that this is like more of a typical cyclical behavior. Interest rate sensitive sectors uh, suffer like housing market. And those that sectors that aren't so sensitive, like government spending, or government uh, types of jobs and uh, health care, which is not really a function of, you know, the sort of the inelasticity of demand there, perhaps. But anyway, I think that the, the U.S. economy is still growing faster than trend. And we're going to see that uh, next week when we get uh, the January jobs data. Uh, the early estimate is for 165,000, which still seems to be consistent with a, a robust economy as we get as we get 2024 underway. Mark, when we just take a step back, overall, 2023, at least GDP-wise, economy-wise in the U.S., was stronger than it seems like anybody expected. Fed or even the bulls, probably stronger than they expected as we got quarter over quarter growth. But again, you look at what the Fed has said, especially recent Powell's conference saying, look, he just sees the big disconnect between where inflation is, where the Fed's funds rate is. And while the economy is still doing well, do you think that we could make the argument or the Fed can make the argument that instead of being reactive, maybe they do want to be proactive and that's why they might push forward some rate cuts because, well, the economy is doing well. So maybe the economy will do even better. But there is that big discrepancy between where inflation is and where the Fed funds rate is. Yeah, I think that how the Fed will couch this is going to say, listen, since we brought the Fed funds rate up to this level, the inflation level has fallen sharply. And since inflation has fallen sharply, the 5.5% Fed funds target in real rates, in real terms, adjusted for inflation, is much higher than it needs to be. And so in order to ensure a soft landing, we need to lower the real interest rate I should say we lower the nominal interest rate to bring the real interest rate back down to more sustainable levels. So I think the first couple of cuts, perhaps, the Federal Reserve will couch them in terms of not really easing policy, but maintaining the same level of restriction in a falling inflation environment. Mark, I'm glad you went into the real rate. That's exactly where I wanted to go, because it seems like this is a lot higher real rates than any economist was predicting either. And that has big effects on things like the currency markets, on gold, on any interest rate sensitive uh, part of the market, maybe even the crypto. So what do you make of the environment where these real rates are so high? And if they do start coming down, how does that affect the greenback? How does that affect gold? Yeah, Shannon, you know, it's funny, I'm not really an economist. You know, I've spent most of my career trying to understand the capital markets, but I really learned my economics 
besides from the job through instead of economics textbooks from like history and this that concept of real interest rates just is like a uh, it's amazing that such a science like economics is based on uh, this intangible thing that you can't you can't really see it you can't really measure it directly I don't know if it really exists. I mean, real interest rate. Usually what people do is they take a look at the nominal interest rate, subtract current inflation from it. But why would we want to subtract current inflation to get the real rate? We should be subtracting inflation expectations. So economists try to do that. And then there's a debate over which inflation expectations should you use. Should you use a one-year? Should you use a three-year? Should you use it over the term of the when inflation really matters? It doesn't really matter so much in one year, but over the course of 10 years. And so I just find that this concept of real interest rates is really difficult to, to really like figure out how to use it. I, I, I know like roughly uh, that uh, with inflation falling and nominal interest rates actually having risen now uh, for most of this month, that real interest rates are a bit higher. But when I think about, say, uh, say the Fed funds rate at five and a half percent and inflation, say we're at uh, I don't know if you want to give me the. Uh, the annualized rate for the last six months, but if you give me that, 2%, so you've got 3.5% real rate when the economy is growing well above trend. I'm not sure it's so far out of line. I mean, I would expect it to be a bit lower, but maybe it's uh, maybe it's that inflation is not really at 1.9%. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think generally uh, the sense is that central bankers responded to two types of inflation shocks. Some of them were transitory, some of them weren't. And uh, now we're at a stage where Europe's not growing. Uh, we'll find that out next week. Uh, the UK uh, looks like they're stagnant or worse. The Japanese economy is finally recovering after a very sharp Q3 downturn. Consumption and investment has fallen for two quarters in a row in Japan. And so I think that the uh, interest rates, nominal and real, are seen as too high, and central banks will be cutting them uh, in Europe, the US, uh, Canada, Australia. And in Japan, ironically, Earlier uh, on, a, on Friday, the, uh, the Japanese reported that their Tokyo CPI fell below target, 2%. And uh, this obviously knock-on effects uh, for the national numbers out in a couple of weeks. But uh, they're going to be raising interest rates. The rest of the world is probably going to be cutting them. What about China, too? Because China's been an outlier here where their economy continues to struggle. And they've been a central bank that continues to talk about easing policy hasn't seemed to stabilize their economy or their markets. We keep on hearing about all their home builders, their mega companies that are having a bunch of issues. How does China factor into market moves, but also some of these numbers coming out of other countries like inflation data? Yeah, no, China's really at a, uh, at a possible like inflection point. This past week, you know, it's funny, in the U.S., we had this thing they talk about it being the Fed put. And that's the idea that if the stock market were to get hit very hard, that the Federal Reserve would uh, take action to ensure or to minimize the risk of financial stability. That's the way capitalism works. And in China, uh, they say that stock market is not the key metric. But the sharp sell-off this year where they saw the Chinese shares that traded on the, uh, in Hong Kong were off over 11% in the first four weeks of the year. China took action last week. They did a couple of things. One is they cut reserve requirements, 50 basis points. This freed up uh, about $150 billion for the banks. It, it, it like advised the, uh, the, state, the large state-owned banks to uh, buy equities. 
Uh, some of the banks and brokerages told some of the hedge funds not to short stocks, not to short ETFs. And uh, there were rumors that China was co- considering having the uh, state-owned companies with uh, d- uh, to like intervene in the stock market. This put uh, a nice bounce in the uh, in the Chinese stocks on Wednesday and Thursday. This did seem to have some spillover effects on risk-taking appetites in general. Uh, it did it did help strengthen the uh, the Chinese currency. Uh, there was a sense of like FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Uh, people have been very bearish, which means that they're underweight to Chinese stocks, and for good reason. And uh, now, if they say that you know the old saw about uh, don't fight city hall, well, Beijing is a big city hall, and so if Beijing is going to be putting its uh, formal and informal powers behind trying to stem the uh, slide in the stock market, then it looks like a lot of people wanted to buy at the same time. Well, Mark, outside of China, as you noted, there's some big news coming out of Europe next week, as well as uh, Great Britain. And how does that affect the currency markets when you look overseas? And also, how does that affect the greenback here at home? Yeah, so uh, just this Friday before the weekend, the euro fell to a new low for the month, which new low for the year, about 108.15. It recovered. But I I think that something like this has happened. You know, there's so many different factors that drive the foreign exchange market. And I think that in the last couple of uh, months, it's been relatively simple. It's about interest rates, interest rate expectations, and especially from the, Federal, from the Federal Reserve side. And so I'm not sure that that correction is over yet. And that is, it still seems to me the market's pricing in a little bit too aggressive and too confident of Fed cuts. So I still think that if that correction continues, I think we could see the euro break down, break below 108. Maybe it comes out of maybe we need the strong jobs data next next Friday. And uh, so I, I think that in essence, what happened is that the U.S. dollar had a very weak Q4, especially November and December last year. And we've begun off this year uh, correcting higher. Most of the uh, G10 currencies are uh, are lower uh, this month, I think sterling is the one exception. And many of the emerging market currencies also recovered some, I'm sorry, the dollar recovered some ground there as well. And so uh, I, I think that move might have a little bit more ways to go. But I'm looking at a lot of these momentum indicators, which are getting stretched, which sort of tells me that maybe the dollar has one more leg up to continue the correction that began in early January. But it's nearly over. So I'm picking up on the big picture theme here, not just out of you, Mark, in all fairness. We are hearing it out of some other commentators, too, of this higher for longer. Something that we were talking about most of last year as well. The Fed threw a bit of a wrench into that during their last meeting when the Powell pivot came and the pivot party started for the markets. But in all fairness, it seemed like the markets already were doing quite well off that bottom from, well, late 2022. But what does it mean? Big picture, if we do have this environment here where we simply have rates generally higher for longer throughout this year. Yeah, I mean, I think two things occur to me. One is think about where we were at the end of last year. The market was pricing in about 160 basis points of cuts this year from the Fed. Now it's got about 135 priced in. So we're talking about lower interest rates, not quite as low as we thought at the end of the year, end of last year, but still we're looking at broadly lower interest rates. On the other hand, maybe if you and Shad's points were like the combined, it'd be if real interest rates had remained high or remain higher than uh, people want, 
uh, what what does that mean? And I think that's that's part of the reason why we why a lot of people are looking for a global economy. So the major economic centers to slow down this year. That means Europe stays in this economic funk. It means the U.S. economy slows down as well. And I think that's and you know of course the big the risk that a lot of people talk about in the U.S. is commercial real estate, especially office buildings. That we already see some increased signs of financial stress and i think we talked about these before like delinquency rates on credit cards and uh, auto purchases and so I, th- I think that the federal reserve is sort of caught they want to be able to cut rates but they don't want to do it too fast and they want to be able to i mean the, the worst thing i think from a policymaker's point of view right now and that's really the rule right both in trading i think and in politics is you try to minimize your your maximum regret and i think what policymakers federal reserve like other central bankers what they want to avoid, they say at all cost, is to cut interest rates and then only to have to raise them later on because they cut them prematurely. So that's the that's the risk here. And so that's why I think it behooves the Fed or why the Federals think it behooves them to wait a bit longer to cut rates and take that chance to try to rebuild their anti-inflation credentials. Well, Mark, we're definitely going to hear from uh, the Fed next week. But uh, other than that, next week's packed with a lot of news. I guess just encapsulate some of the things we've talked about in this discussion. What are the key economic points you really want to focus on in the week to come? Well, let's say the, the, the Bank of England meeting is going to be important, both in the Eurozone and in the UK. They had very, a big jump in inflation from February through May of last year. Those numbers are going to drop out of the 12-month comparisons, and we're going to see a sharp drop in UK and uh, Eurozone inflation, not in January, but starting in February. And that could pave the groundwork to to accelerated rate cuts there. So Bank of England, important to see how how they respond to to, to those kind of pressures. And, of of course, after the FOMC meeting, well, interestingly, we got the Central Bank of Brazil that's meeting. And, you know, what's interesting, I think, about emerging markets, and when people, dollar-based investors, think about investing in dollar debt, remember that the U.S. is not the only one that issues dollar bonds. Foreign countries, many foreign companies also issue dollar-denominated bonds, which means that even retail investors can buy these foreign dollar issues. If you're a dollar-based investor, you're not taking any currency risk. You're really taking credit risk. And that could be sovereign credit risk or it could be state-owned company credit risk. But uh, Brazil, like uh, several other Latin American countries, raised interest rates before the Federal Reserve. And now is able to cut interest rates before the Fed. And people are looking for another 50 basis point cut from Brazil. That'll bring them down their, their target rate to the same level as Mexico, 1125, 11.25%. But the big number next week is going to be a U.S. jobs report. We have a lot of smaller parts of the report, sort of elements of the jobs market coming out before that. The JOLTS data, the ADP data, the employment cost index. But the jobs data really should set the tone. Uh, the early call is for about 165,000. And Chad, to your point before, a lot of those jobs seem to be coming from the government sector, healthcare, hospitality. And I think that's what people raise concerns about sort of the quality. How long can that go on? Well, we get to see that jobs data at the end of the week, and we get the Fed in the middle of the week, plus a couple of other central banks, as you said. So, A lot for us to talk about next week. Let's see where these markets go because, well, broad averages are right around some all-time highs, but it hasn't been broad-based. So what that means, I think there's still a big question mark around that. 
Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's great chatting with you. Again, you can follow Mark's commentary over at the Mark to Market website, which will be posted below. Mark, thanks for joining us on this Sunday. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Good luck, everybody.